Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. G'day, Matt, and welcome to uh, Straight Talk. Um, I... You know, we put you on the podcast the other day. It was great. We talked about your various business out, um, ventures, etc., which has you know, been widely accepted. You know, if you want to go see that, by the way, you go to podcast1.com.au or go to the new Podcast One Australia app and sweet, you can watch it. But today is about Matt Moran, and I actually want to sort of dig in a little bit deeper about a few things with you, mate. And uh, I just one thing I want to ask you. You're nervous you, now. Stop, stop, <laughs> stop staring at my uh, lump. Um, and I know you're staring at my lump, uh, but and we're going to put this up around Christmas time. So yep. um, you know, people are going to watch this around Christmas. I want to ask you a couple of questions about Christmas, and I want to ask you a question about cooking, actually. Yep. Personal, a personal question. Before I do though, everybody would be interested to know mm. because the economy's changed, has turned around. Mm. How well are your venues going now? Mate, you, if you want to be anywhere in the world, I think you want to be in Australia. Yeah. Um, and probably Sydney, I'd say. Uh, look, it, it is – it's it's not back to what it would be this time of year, but, you know, we're, we're doing pretty bloody well. Yeah. And on Monday the um, restrictions get released even more, two square metres. It helps our big venues. Opera Bar's gone from capped at 300 to 1,100. Barangaroo capped at 300 to about 700 now, I think. Um, the medium venues uh, hasn't done a lot because we've still got 1.5 metres in between the tables. But I'd say, you know, we'll be 75% next week of what and, we normally would be this time of year. And are people drinking? I mean, you've got less people, but are the people that you get in there, they're actually going hard? Mate, we, are, we have seen across the board a bigger average spend in every venue. Totally, yeah. So they're, they're staying a little bit longer. They're enjoying it a little bit more. Um, whether it's JobKeeper money or what, but they're, they're spending more money, which is great because that only helps the economy. Um, but, yeah, look, you know, we're, I'm, I'm very lucky to be in Australia and be in Sydney. You know, I see my mates over in Gordon Ramsay and all those guys in, in London and they're, they're, they're still, you know, heavily restricted on what they can do and, and they're really suffering. You know, so they've been in and out of this. Big time struggling. Oh, yeah, that, that's, it's really tough. Um, look, I think it's still going to get tough a little bit next year, you know, come Easter after JobKeeper. Um, but, you know, we, we seem to be doing all right. What about your mates in Victoria? I mean, uh, oh, what, what's going on down there? Mate, they, they are... Who do you talk to down there? Do you talk to George? George is a good mate. Yeah, yep. yep. George, I love Georgie. Um, he's been a good friend. You know, what happened to him was tragic um, with the whole pay thing. I won't go into that. But, um, yeah, look, all, all chefs get on really well. You know, Andrew McConnell's a great mate. Shannon Bennett's a, a great mate. Um, you know, George is a good friend. So, you know, I, I have a... I don't have an interest in Melbourne, but I actually have an interest in what they're doing. How are they going down there? They're, look, they're they're coming out of it now, yeah, yeah. so they're they're going nuts. It's, I'm actually going down there on Monday. I'm taking my daughter down, um, father daughter, um, shopping in Melbourne. We just say we're going down shopping for the rest of the family. So you must be going. Well, the, the opera bar must be going good if you get, if you're <laughs> if you're game to take your daughter down to Melbourne for shopping. Oh, you know what? It's just you know, Mim's only fifteen, um, and it's just a really good time. Fuck, how expensive is it to fly down there though? Oh yeah, I got I got lucky. I got in you know as soon as we could, um, and it's still it's a lot more expensive than what it was. Um, but you know, it's just a really good time to spend with your daughter one on one. Phones go away. We go out for dinner somewhere, so we're going to Tipo Double O, which is a, a good Italian joint. And um, we say shopping for everyone else, but it's not really. It's just shopping for her. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but that's so cool. I mean, I know about her daughter, but, like, I had a lot of girlfriends, wives. You know, probably, people thought they were probably my daughter because they're young enough. But, like, <laughs> I, I, but I never had, a, had, the, had the luxury of having a daughter. Um, I, I, for me, you know, I got four sons and, uh, like, they are very boyish. And, yeah. uh, you know, we had – we all lived together in, in the city in the Asta. And uh, there was the four boys, me, we had a housekeeper, and uh, – 
we had a you know dog, male dog. So like imagine what it's like. So my lots boys, of penises. totally lots of penises, <laughs> lots of farting, and uh, you know lots of dirty jokes. And uh, di- dinner time was like a mess. Like in in other words, like. It was embarrassing. It would be embarrassing for – lucky the housekeeper wouldn't speak English. She was Japanese. <laughs> well, her English was pretty bad. So she didn't really cotton on what they were talking about. Could you imagine the conversations? Mm. It was a sort of pub conversation. Mate, I, one of the things you, you told me in the podcast is that um, you spent a number of years as an apprentice chef learning how to cook mm. and then um, a number of years learning how to use ingredients after mm. becoming a cook. Like, what does that mean? Like, I don't understand that. Like, mm. what's the difference? Look, I, I suppose when I started cooking, I was only 15, right, and, you know, grew up out west like you and, and you know, fell in love with it, really fell in love with it. I'm a little bit obsessive, compulsive. So back in those days, it was six days, you know, we're doing 80 hours a week. Um, weren't probably getting properly paid, but just really, to me, it was a training, you know, and it was a French restaurant, um, one of the best in Sydney, a little place called La Belle Helene. And it was, if you wanted to learn how to cook, that's where you went. So that real classic training, you know, and and you learn how to roast something or pan fry something or or make mousselines or, or make pastry, um, you know, make soufflés and, and like the real the real core of cooking and that's what French cookery is all about. You know, it's very classic and, and some people say it's quite boring but it is, it's a technique. It's like if you're going to be a bricklayer, you've got to learn how to, you know, lay bricks properly and then you can be creative. Um, and I always found La Belle was the best training, you know, and I remember going to college and thinking, wow, you know, I know all this stuff because the college um, course that you did, commercial cookery, was all based on the French techniques. And I was doing that at work. So I had the advantage over everyone else. I was the youngest and I actually topped the bloody year every year um, or, you know, in the top one or two. If people listening to that would probably go, no, I beat Matt in Fuck them, no, he won. He, he was the guy. <laughs> and, um, and then after La Belle, don't get me wrong, the, the food was really good but it was quite classical. And then when I left there and I went and worked for a guy called Steve Manfredi at the restaurant and it was around a time that, you know, food was exploding and these guys, Barry McDonald, Simon Johnson – um, John Sussman, uh, these guys have started up their own companies um, importing cheeses. Um, Barry McDonald was the guy out at the fruit and veg markets that would, you know, find things that we'd like, you know, when I grew up, asparagus came out of a tin. Yeah, same. Yeah. And, yeah. and <laughs> they were really soft. And people started growing it in Australia. So, you know, we were the first sort of people to start seeing that sort of stuff. John Sussman was a, um, an ex-chef restaurant guy that got into seafood. He was from South Australia. And he grew up down there and, you know, he was getting things like Coffin Bay scallops and, and, uh, and squid, southern, uh, southern squid. And we'd never really seen that before. And it was all fresh. And so I, I just had this explosion at, at Manfredi of all this stuff, ingredients that I'd never seen. So if you put the ingredients to the classical training of cooking, you know, you, you're going to have something pretty special. Now I understand. So it's sort of like you got structure out of the French yeah. restaurant La, La Belle Helene or La Belle Helene, whatever it was, um, the structure there as to how to cook, like the process yep. and the standards. Yep. And then you started playing around with ingredients. With ingredients. And that's exactly what it was. And, and you know, I, I remember my first initial reaction when I went to La Belle because I couldn't get a job, Mark. You know, can you believe it? No one would give me a job. I went for about 20 interviews. Um, I remember one guy. You probably fucking scared him. You don't look like a chef. You're already, what are you, six foot two or three, like a hundred kilos, feel like a brick shit house. They probably, this bloke's not a fucking chef. Like, well, mate, back in those days, I was a 15 year old chubby kid from Blacktown, you know. That, yeah, you know, well, that makes it worse. I couldn't speak. Yeah, you know? that makes it worse. And, and uh, who's this dumb fuck walking in here? Look at him. He's, kid is, he's got, because uh, I was one of them too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. long hair down here somewhere and short on the sides. Like, it looked like a, like a real total. I remember chip, but, one restaurant I went to, um, Pierre. Pier one, I think, at the at uh, under the at the rocks there under the Harbour Bridge, and the guy said to me, "Plain as day, he said, mate, the first ten don't work out. I'll give you a call." <laughs> it was pretty demoralising. Like you just couldn't get a, an apprenticeship. And when I got one um, at La Belle, you know, I was only fifteen, and and I just bluffed my way in there. I don't think I told you that story, but you know, I just couldn't believe what they were doing with food. You know, like and it was just little things like fan strawberries and stuff. It was just like so. When you went home, you said, "Hey, Dad, you like Dad? I saw this cooked." Um. Oh man, I was Dad picked me up because Dad used to come pick me up from Blacktown every night, six nights a week, mm. and um, and you know we'd talk and and you know fifteen year old kids from Blacktown didn't become cooks or chefs. You know, so he he was worried that I because it wasn't academic. He was worried that I might go off the rails, and if I leave that job, I wouldn't have a job because I couldn't get one prior to that. So he would say, you know, is, is this what you want to do in life? I was like, Dad, you don't get it. 
I, I love it. I'm falling in love with it. Like it's just so different. And, uh, you know, my mates were motor mechanics and painters and Sundays afternoons would get together and I was, I was smashed. I was so bloody tired because I'd done, you know, all the hours. And I remember they used to whinge and go, oh, I don't want to go to work tomorrow. And, oh, you know, bloody, got to do this and do that. And I used to think, there's something, something wrong with me because I couldn't wait to get to work to yeah. learn something new. You know, you well, okay. You, you just said you like you learn how, you learn the structure of French cooking. I mean, and a lot of great chefs or well-known chefs or successful chefs have done the same thing here mm. in Australia. Actually, I got a tenant. His name's Haru, and mm. he's a Japanese guy, mm. and uh, he he also learned French cooking. And he's good mates with Guillaume somehow. But I um, know Haru. Yeah, he's and a Shimon. Tenant. Yeah, he's a he's a Japanese restaurant up there in Darling. Yeah, right. That, that's so, my building up. Right. There. So the Shimon, who's his you know, head chef number yep, two, yep. he's a partner also. Yep. He worked for me for five years at uh, yeah. in Brisbane. Well, I, and they all, a lot of these people had similar sort of background to you. Well, the, the Japanese in Japan, you, you probably get better French food in Japan than you can in France. Is that right? France. Oh, yeah, because the, the French love the, sorry, the Japanese love the French. So it's all about status and it's all about, you know, those designer handbags. When it handbags. comes to especially. And especially exactly the same. Like the, the Japanese love all the French wines. Um, uh. And, you know, some of the best bars in the world are in, in Tokyo. So... Another great, great example, a guy called Kazu worked for me for 18 years um, at Aria. He was the, the, the backbone. He was, the, he was the engine. And I remember when he first started, uh, Justin North, who was a, a restaurateur, a chef, rang me and said, I've got this Japanese guy. Um, he's come out from Japan. He wants to get sponsored. Apparently, he's really good. And I said, great. You know, I'll take him. And I thought, me being selfish, I thought, you know, great. You know, I want to learn a little bit about Japanese food. He'll be great. Get him to do staff dinner and he can teach me something. And I remember he came in and, you know, I gave him a couple of you know, months just to settle in. The guy was a phenomenal cook. He asked me to cook anything, a piece of fish, a piece of meat, always perfect. And, uh, and I said to him, all right, I said, all right, Kazu, you know, show me some Japanese food. And he just looked at me blankly. And I said, you know, well, what's the matter? He goes, uh, French trained chef, not Japanese. <laughs> I was like, fuck, mate. I'm not going to give you sushi. <laughs> no, no. So he, he's, his whole upbringing was... All about French food. Well, so well, well, yeah. It's funny now. He's actually cooking Japanese food in, in a Japanese he restaurant. But help me out. Like, so, like, you got Australians who want to learn French cooking. You got Japanese who want to learn French cooking. You got Australians who want to learn Japanese cooking. What about um, who wants to learn Australian cooking? What is it like? What defines Australian food? I mean, we've had a lot of discussion. I've had a lot of discussion. I've heard a lot of discussion more recently about indigenous yep. ingredients. Yep. Um, yeah, what, what, well, how do we define this stuff? It's an interesting comment because, you know, we, we are one of the youngest nations in the world. Um, we have this incredible, well, yeah, since yeah. it's been, you know, I shouldn't since say Since Captain that. Cook, yeah. Yeah, since Captain, since Captain Cook. Which is control, controversial, yeah. Yeah, um, but, you know, we've got this whole culture behind us which is Indigenous, which is probably true Australian culture. Yep. Um, but, you know, food the way that it's gone now is Australian food. It's not meat pies and it's not hamburgers. It's a, it's a it's a modern technique um, using you know indigenous and you know whatever we grow here. Um, you know it, it's much well, cleaner. For example, though, what are we talking? Like, I don't I mean pardon my ignorance, but like I couldn't quote you like kakadu plums. What are we talking about? I mean, what are what do you mean by indigenous flavors? Look, some of them. Look, I always had that sort kakadu of kakadu plum or something like that. Well, I yeah, yeah. I, I always thought indigenous flavors weren't very good. That's why we didn't use them, um, and it. It was really arrogant of me and really naive of me. And it wasn't – it was just because I hadn't really seen it. And, and you know, the stuff that I had seen, you know, I didn't think it was that special. But there was a whole culture there. People like Jock from uh, from Marana and and, and a, a few other chefs and Peter Gilmore from Key really started getting more and more into it. And, you know, there's a whole culture there and a whole cuisine that, you know, you can actually bring forward into modern cooking. Um, and it's, um, it's amazing. It really is. But what are we talking about? Like, I don't get it. So, like – are you talking about like you know you can get there's some berries you can dry and crush and get it it's, flavored? It, it is. It's more. It is more um, uh, vegetarian. It's, we're not talking about wallaby and kangaroos and, right. and crocodiles. Um, it is more flavors and, and spices and aromatics and aromatics. Yes, that you that you, you can find and grind and mix in. And every different region of Australia is so different. So, you know, you've got all these different flavours from all different parts of it, you know, it's where it's, you know, obviously in drier country or wetter country and, and you know, colder country because they obviously were nomads too, um, you know, prior to Captain Cook. Yep. Because, you know, we've got, um, we've got, uh, my father's found a couple of stone which have axes on our farm. 
really? which is really cold country. Yeah. And I tell you what, there's no way they were hanging out there in winter because it was, you know, it's freezing and, and quite yeah. a bit of snow. So they obviously came into that region in summer and were hunting and doing whatever and then would move back out of it. Um, and I think that sort of explains a lot of Australia where, you know, they were nomads and they moved around quite a bit. Do you think there's anything exportable though? I mean, in terms of, oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, everyone else is exporting their stuff to us. Is there something we, we could be exporting out? Yeah, I think there is. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, we, we export a little bit now, you know, obviously uh, our meats and, and, uh, um, and, you know, fresh fruit and whatever, you know, mangoes and truffles. We grow truffles now and we sell them back to the French and the Italians, which is fantastic. But there, there is definitely a um, – and we sell a little bit of indigenous meats too, like kangaroo and stuff like that. What about what about the spices? I like, I mean, I mean, is there a hundred percent? Yeah, yeah, there is a marketplace. Who, is there someone collects this shit? The, the, like? the, well, there was a whole thing done that uh, Jock did in South Australia, um, and I'm not sure where that is up to. But there's like a encyclopedia of what you can use and what you can do, so and do with it. So I think that that will, you know, that's that's the future. I think there is. I mean, it's not often I get to, you know, like an, I, I can't ask this question normally because most people, you know, I don't don't know them very well, but I can ask you so. Recently, um, I interviewed a bloke called Denon Kemp, and Denon owns a business a business called Bloke in a Bar. It, it's a beer, but yeah. he has a podcast called Bloke in a Bar. It's extraordinarily popular amongst younger people. Yeah, and we talked about the concept of um, being a bloke. Yeah, okay, and uh, and the, you know, I, I get it. Like, there's all sort of diversity, and there's all every we got to be accepting everything and everybody the way they are, their, their sexual preferences, all that sort of stuff. I understand all that. Get it? Where you know? going here? Well, I don't know, mate. I'm, don't worry. I'm, just, I'm not going to put one on you. But um, but I, what I, I guess what I want to ask you is, um, how do you feel about? For me, you come mm. across as just a just a, for me, my generation, a normal bloke. We're sort of close in generation mm. in age sense. You're just a normal bloke, a real bloke. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you, there's nothing fancy about you. You you know, you just dress like a bloke. You speak like a bloke. You act like a bloke. You eat like a bloke. Like what I consider to be a bloke. How do you feel about that stuff going on at the moment? I mean, do you mind us talking about? It? I know you got a daughter. You got kids. You probably got to be sensitive to this sort of stuff. I mean, my young brother, for example, my young brother, he's got two daughters who are in their twenties. One's just going through university now, and the other one's finished. But they're always pulling him up, saying, Dad, you can't say this, you can't say, you can't speak that way, you can't use those words. And he has got a, an ounce of um, intolerance in him whatsoever. Yeah, right. Like he's a very tolerant guy. He yeah. doesn't care about what, whatever people's preferences are, nor do yeah. I, to be frank with you, but I yeah. still am what I am. Yeah, of course. How do you, you feel about that? Mate, I, I am what I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bloke. You know, I like cars, I like motorbikes, and I like you know boxing and, and gym and whatever else and swimming. But... You know, I grew up in a in an industry that is accepting of, of anything and everything. Um, and, you know, I, I remember there was someone that I knew, and I won't say who it was, but I remember him being quite racist and homophobic and I just thought, wow, you know, that's a really good person. How can they be like that? And I actually just put it down to being educated, not being exposed and not being around it. And, you know, I'm, I'm tolerant of anyone and whatever their choices are and whatever they want to do. But I think it's just that era that I was brought up into. And I think my parents are accepting too because they actually were part of my upbringing and seeing what was around me. Um, you know, look, I'm a bit old-fashioned in the old sense too. As you know, I think a, a gentleman, a bloke can still be a gentleman. You know, yep. should open a car door and yep. pay for, a, you know, someone's meal. But if someone wants to, you know, pay it back, well, then they should be able to too. You know, I, you know. Oh, look. Is there I, something you need to think about that? I mean, do, I mean, do you no, think No, not really. I don't really. No, I don't. I just – look, I, I'm – you know, I'm a little bit older. I'm not a thug like I used to be. And I, I just have that real sense of um, generosity and humility I think is really important. Never forget where you came from and I yeah. think you're similar to that. Um, and generosity – and generosity doesn't mean that you've got to give money away all the time but generosity can be for anything. You know, I remember in COVID, you know, we're all – hunched up and and all pissed off and we couldn't go out and do anything and i went up to um fruitologist in bondo road and the back of yeah. kennedy's there yep i came in to drive and there was this old lady and a guy in a bmw um local old trying to back into the spot there's a guy that wanted to get out and he couldn't get out and she's trying you know and couldn't do it all right the guy over there started bipping and i was pretty oh, come on you know you must be able to do it and then I just thought, and I looked at the woman, and she looked at me. I could see the pain on her face that she was trying to reverse him but couldn't do it. And, um, and then the husband gets out, and he's trying to direct her, and this other guy's getting really shitty. 
And um, and as she th- she realised she couldn't do it, she came out and she wound a window down to me and she said, I'm so sorry. And I said, just wait there. So I got out of my car and I said, you don't know me from a bar soap. Do you mind if I can park your car? And uh, so she said yes. She got out, left a handbag in there. I got up in the car and stole it. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I reversed, I reversed in and put her car in and the look on the guy's face, you could see him thinking, you know what, that was probably – a nice thing to do. Probably and I should have done that. He should probably have should have done that because he was getting angry and I just thought, you know what, it's not hard to be kind to people, you know, and then she's like, oh, oh. and someone yelled out, oh, you know, good on you, Matt, you know, and then she's looked at me she said, I know you, where do you live? I want to send you. I said, you don't need to send me anything sweet. I said, you know, you just go and get your groceries and, and go off and whatever. And I think being kind to people is really important. But how do you manage that all the time? Like, I mean, what about like, you know, you you finished in the restaurant, you had a shit day, you know, not everyone turned up, or something, something happened in the kitchen, which is more, more than likely every time. Um, do you, uh, how do you deal with that when, when you know you're really pissed off? Look, you have bad days, and you have you know non bad days. Um, What's for, a bad for me? Matt for me, in a, for me in a kitchen, like you know, and you know, I, I run a lot of places, so I'm not in the kitchen like I used to be, and I'll, yep. I'll be honest about that. And to be really honest, when I was in the kitchen 20 years ago, full time, I was a bit of a tyrant. Mm. Um, and you know, because it's it all comes back onto you, and you you bear the weight of someone not having a good meal. It's your reputation, your name, and I was a lot worse. But then you grow up, and I'm sure it's similar in what you do, Mark. If I walked into a kitchen now and bagged some young kid, it would destroy him. Hmm. You know, I just couldn't do that anymore. You know, and I won't do that anymore. If I see someone something that I don't like, I'll talk to the head chef, and it goes down the line. You know, I would never confront a, a young a young a young chef anymore. If if, if anything, I'm actually supportive and positive and, and looking after them. I mean, um, do you think that's – is that sort of growing up? That's us? growing up. Yeah. Yeah, having kids. Yeah, having know, your own kids. Being and, soft. And does, does – I know your wife's an intelligent professional who's, you know, obviously has influence on you. Um, yep. Has she had an influence on Matt Moran? Of course. You know, I like think has everyone, she sort of changed – not changed, but, you know, oh, like no, helped you, you know, grow or she's, evolve? She's, she's very left, left and, and, you know, an incredibly successful lawyer. Um, and heavily involved in indigenous politics and and all that sort of stuff. Um, oh, look, I think anything. You know, I, I think my son. You know, my son has a big influence on me these days. You know, he's nineteen. You know, wants to be a doctor and doing you know um, science and stuff down in Melbourne to become yep. a doctor. He's doing medical science, yeah, 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 and uh, biochemistry or whatever it is, biomedicine or whatever, and science. Um, that's got a direct role. Run into into medicine. Um, he's bright too. Um, you know, and sometimes I'll do something and he would just say, oh, Dad, you know what, you know, you, you, you're being a bit out of line. You he know? pulls you up. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And even my daughter does sometimes, um, which I think is a good thing. You know, I don't think I ever did that to my father. Oh. <laughs> no, forget it. I wouldn't have even thought about saying, mate, if my dad, if my, if my dad says something that I didn't agree with, I would just do it. Yeah. irrespective and yeah. mum especially mum <laughs> like yeah. tough Irish mother mate like she was tough yeah. um, you would never stand up against her like, she's too smart anyway for me and it's <laughs> all over it like I would I have no chance um, can I ask you everybody I know is up in Byron at the moment but like w- where does <laughs> Matt Moran go for holidays um, I want to have a summer holiday in, in, in Sydney um, I've, I've got a mate that's got a place in Byron so I'm going to go see him for a couple of days in between Christmas and New Year but everyone's going there. So where would you go apart from you're going to go to Byron for a couple of days? Where's a place that Matt Moran would love to go? I'm I'm going – look, I love Australia, Mark, and I've been very, very blessed. You know, I I dated a girl in my early 20s who was a flight attendant and uh, we did a couple of trips around Australia. I've pretty much been everywhere in Australia except for Cooper Pedy and Broken Hill. Um, and, you know, I've been all the way up through the, the Kimberleys and Northern Territory – uh, most of the Cape, down to Tassie, South Australia. I love it. Margaret River, if it's not one of the most beautiful places on earth, I don't know it's where awesome. it is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, New South Wales, I've been around. I love my motorbikes. Um, I'm planning a trip around the mid-January for three three days and we're going to go down south into the Snowies. I've never seen the Snowies in, in summer. Right. Um, and, you know, Threadbow and Perisher, it's always had snow on it. So I'm keen to have a bit of a look around there. Um, and I'm going to do that for a couple of days, and then the rest just hang out in Sydney. I think I think we're going to be busy in Sydney yeah. in January because there's a lot your, of people your, there. your venues, you mean? Yep. Businesses mm-hmm. will be busy. Um, I think a lot more people are going to be in Sydney than what normally what normally there is. Yep. Um, so you know, I'm looking forward to that and being busy. 
Um, but yeah, just hang around. Might go to Noosa for a, for a couple of days here. And so there. If if I said to you like, where's a place that you haven't been to? Because like I mean, I had never been to Tasmania until two years ago, and I went to Tasmania. Oh, really? I just I loved it. It was just so fucking good. Yeah, like, how Tasmania was it? unreal. Just unreal. Um, so I did the Tasmania thing, but there are still lots of places in Australia that I haven't been to. I mean, I lived in Perth for a long time, but I'd like to go to some of the places. I like I like to go all the way north, uh, like to the tip, whatever that is, up right at the very top. Um, I'd love to try try that out. I'd love to drive Cape up York. There. Yeah, Cape York. Is there any, where where's some place that you you just say fuck? I'd love to go there, um, mate. I, I think I've been. I, I would like to do the west coast of Tassie. Uh, I've never been to. Um, I'd like to drive from um, – I did a trip from uh, Darwin to Broome in a helicopter with Matty Wright a couple of years ago, which was fan- over four days, which is fantastic. I'd like to do Perth up to Broome, up that coast, you know, Monkey Mire. And I've been to Carnarvon. I did the fishing thing there once um, and just sort of, you know, uh, uh, have a look at and the Pilbara region inland a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty lucky and pretty blessed. I suppose my happy place is when I'm not in Sydney is the farm. Yeah. And you know, where's your farm? Farm is three hours west, so it's uh, central Tablelands, west of Oberon and south of Bathurst. Right. So yep. cold country. Beautiful. And and do you grow anything there? We've got fat lamb, uh, beef, and I've got a few pigs too. You got some pigs. Well, you know, I had my when I was uh, when I was uh, it was about maybe eight years ago. My boys decided for my father's day they'd buy me a pig because they they said they eventually told me it was George Clooney had a, a pet pig. Like oh, that was a little midget one. He's following him around, right? Yeah, so my yeah. boys bought a little pig, right? They're thinking it was the a midget. The fucking pig turned into be a monster, right? Like it was like, must have been 200 kilos or maybe oh. more. It was a massive black and white thing. It was huge. And then we had to give it away because the poor thing was living on its own they, and they do like to be with other they other do. animals. But I mean, I love, I actually loved it when it was small, but it did follow me around. It was like a dog. Yeah. Pigs are really intelligent. Stupidly intelligent. Like people don't have any idea and they're no. actually very friendly. Yeah, they are. But they so, can make a mess. Yeah, they can make a mess. We've got uh, Berkshires and uh, what are they? Ball. What do they look like? They're the black and white ones. Yeah, they, no, they're black, black, um, black head. They're the ones that you make uh, kirabuda and you get beautiful ham out in Spain and whatever else. Um, do you our, feed them um, uh, 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 pine cones and see? What do you feed? Acorns. Them? Acorns. That's it. No, I don't. But um, my boar is about four hundred kilos. Whoa. Um, he's yeah, he's getting too big for the sows, um, and. Uh, and, you know, we obviously use them in the restaurants when they get, you know, we have little ones and then they obviously grow up and that's what happens to them. They go, you know, they, they do the big trip to Sydney. Yep. yep. But do you, how do you feel about that? Oh, man, I'm a country boy. You yeah, know, I yeah, grew up yeah. with it. I don't have any issues. Doesn't bother you. No, no, not at all. What about your kids? Uh, no, not at all. No, they've, um, they're, they're accustomed to it and you have seen what happens on the farm. And, and you know what? I, I think being a farmer, it's all about when your livestock is alive, you give it the best life it possibly can. Hmm. You know, and it's all about um, uh, you know animal husbandry and, and making sure that they they you know they live the best life. But so that's it's an what ethic. farming is the, ethical. Every, it's got to be. We don't have dogs on the farm anymore, um, and we haven't for a long time. Well, why not? Just, it stirs them up and stresses out the animals. Oh, the animals, and, yeah, yeah. And you know, and that that shows in the meat. There's there's no question. You know, if your animal's stressed and and freaked out and and a bit wild, you know, the meat's going to be tougher. Mate, I got a Brahmin um, stud oh, yeah. and. Uh, do you? Yeah. Where up north? On my farm. So I've got a couple of hundred acres there and uh, I've got a Brahmin stud and, uh, you know, we sell stud cattle. Like yeah. we, we don't – we sell it off as um, not to go to the meatworks. We don't yeah, sell, yeah, sell yeah. any of the fat sales. And um, uh, we have to have dogs because you've got to herd the things up and down the – because I've got a mountain at the top. So yeah, right. I muscle them up. Send them, we go on the show, so we muscle them up, send them, make them walk up the hill yeah. and down the hill and back up the – down the hill for water, up back up the hill for food. So that muscles them up a bit. We don't. We don't do any silly. We don't. So we give them a bit of protein to eat during the, if there's a show on yeah, yeah, coming yeah. up, like the echo or something, which we haven't done for a couple of years, but yeah, right. ordinarily. Um, I've, but I can actually say that I've never eaten any of my cattle because um, I just can't because uh, I eat meat, don't worry. But uh, I just don't want to eat um, my cattle because they become like pets. Mm. So you've got all Boss Indians, which is a Brahmin breed, which is more of a you know hot weather cow, and they go up north yeah. is where – we breed Angus, which are all um, English breed. Cold, cold weather breed. Cold weather yeah, breed. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't put one. Taurus. We, well, there's Boss Indicus and Taurus. And yeah. ours are Taurus and yours are Boss Indicus. Yeah. But I love Brahmin. Um, they're so cute. Yeah, right. little heads on them, um, you know, when they're born especially. They've got little they're heads. Gorgeous. Yeah, and, they're, and, and mine are like pets. Like they've got docility factor in mine is very good. So like yeah. you can, 
especially the show ones, you can just lead them around. But, like, you can go up and pet them, you know, walk up to the fence. Well, they think when they hear the diesel on the back of my yeah, uh, little food. thing, there's food coming. Yeah. So uh, they all bolt down and they're all sitting there and waiting for you. And they're basically waiting for you to go up and you go up and pet them. And uh, some of them, we got names for some of them. And I've been there, well, I remember one year I was on New Year's Eve and it was pissing down, right? It was just the worst New Year's Eve ever. And um, I got a call from the guy who lives with the manager guy and he said, oh, look, there's a problem where one of the someone's prolapsed and the calf's laying in a puddle mm. downstairs. Can you come give me a hand? We've got to carry the calf up in the mother's womb up and make the mother walk them up to the we've got a nursery thing there. Mm. And uh, I'll never forget it. And uh, we've got to then, then the the mother wouldn't let the, cow, the calf feed, so we had to get the whatever it is you get out of the – the art of first off to give to the calf yeah, because it, give yeah. whatever the stuff's called uh, it's not milk but whatever it is yeah, yeah. and uh it was really cool i, I actually really loved it i mean i was yes to be honest i was exhausted um what we're worried about though we're talking about dogs what we're worried about why we have dogs is what we're worried about is that um we have wild dogs around the area yeah right and um our dogs the the, the, the brahmin mums and the aunties are pretty good they, mm. they will have a crack at wild mm. dogs but mm. If a, if a cow's just had a calf and the cow's not doing well too good as a result and the calf's just laying in the puddle, the, those wild dogs will grab it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they come along our place along the um, railway line, the old the old unused white railway line. They come in and they, they've killed goats and, and yeah, all right. sorts of things for me. So our dogs actually will, will keep we'll them away. Them, yeah, yeah. Right. But other uh, than that, we don't use the dogs really. We don't use them for herding or anything like that. We, um, we used to name the bulls because we know that they're in it. So we used to have insatiable, yeah. incredible, and we had one who was a real shit, so he got horrible. Well, we had one uh, which my <laughs> oldest boy went to the uh, Easter show one time. He's now he's in his late thirties now, but when he was like maybe in his twenties, he went to the Easter show and he 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 saw the the young bull that won whatever it was, and um, he rang me up and he said, "Dad, I bought us a bull and I'm sending him up the farm. He's on the way to the farm." I said, "Oh, great! How, how much did he cost?" He told me the price and like that, and uh, and uh, so we got to name him. So you know, they called him Sirloin. <laughs> and he was a great bull he produced for at least 12 he's actually we only put him down uh 13 years we put him down last year because he got he got he used to get his he used to jump over the neighbors uh fence, everyone else and he used to get his balls caught in the thing yeah. we used to have done you know because he had massive big balls on him and you have to cut him out he just stand there while we cut him out of the wire and but he, he jumped out one time been raining and uh he got caught in a like a mud thing and he he sunk he was a yeah, hundred right. a thousand it was a a ton and he's, mm, he's sunk and in the end we, we had to pull him out of the tractor but he was no good so we had to put him down unfortunately but yeah sirloin he was great because you don't have many bulls so no you, you can no, name them yeah. and you yeah. know you're not going to eat them yeah correct and uh yeah well we don't eat them that's for sure but because yeah, i'm i speaking about food and bulls and animals like on christmas this year it's my turn but you know families yep. hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Turn so. I've had made for me, and I haven't told my family yet, um, they'll see this around Christmas time, but I've had made for me a pizza oven, mm. but a proper one, like it's, mm. you know, metre wide, mm. all that sort of stuff. It, the guy's finishing it off today. He's, you know, he's telling blade professional, this sort of stuff. And um, in Greece, we have these things called furnos, and a furno is uh, like a, it's a furnace, but like it, mm. it's a pizza oven. What you do is you heat the pizza up, oven up and um, th- during the day, but like got it to 400 you leave it there for a, an hour or two then then you pull the wood out you close it up with the thing you leave it overnight and in the morning at 2 a.m in the morning you go and put in a lamb or something like that yeah, yeah. and you close it up and you leave it slow cook it yeah. right through till about two or three o'clock in the afternoon yeah so that's what i'm going to be doing christmas day i'm yeah. going to be making and you put vegetables you put everything in there right then of course you're going to make your salads and everything else you need to make yeah yeah, yeah. and um that's a very great christmas by the way so and it's my turn so i'm just doing it to 
because my mum passed away a couple of years ago and I just wanted to give my dad a really big treat. I yeah, want to surprise yeah. him, right? Yeah. I hope I don't fuck it up. Um, I hope you don't. I've got to have a few practice runs. You've got a chef around the corner, haven't you? Yeah, Guillaume, yeah. You can always come and help. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure Guillaume will be busy. But like, um, yeah, but I, but I don't think he could cook that. So Guillaume would probably cook me something. A souffle. Something French. For something French. What does... What do you do on Christmas Day, or or you don't cook? Someone else cooks, mate. No, it's the total opposite, mate. I um Christmas Day is a, a, an important day to me. I love I love Christmas Day, and I love cooking for Christmas Day. Um, I never go anywhere else but home. So I um and I built my house. I got a big pizza oven. I got an outside kitchen. I got an inside kitchen. I think I've got six or seven ovens in the in the whole house, and a big old Leconche that I was well, not that? old. It's a big French oven. It's got three ovens in it. And um, and I say to family, friends, um, Christmas Day, you're more than welcome to come over. But so I'm like, if my thing gets fucked up, I'll just come around your place. You come, to, you come to my house, I'm not leaving. And I get up early in the morning and I do a, a ham. I do a turkey. You do it on the day. On the day. Yep. Ham, turkey, uh, goose, normally some roast pork, um, duck fat potatoes. Beautiful. Um, which are always the best. Uh, always have an aria Christmas pudding. Um, at the end of it and my mate who's a, a chef um, he comes over with his family and he brings seafood so we have o- oysters prawns a um, little bit of lobster or something to start with and then we have the the yeah, I've always got too much food yeah, yeah but it's always the leftovers for the next week yep so you know it just sort of gets so when you get a lobster through. can I uh, mate, I, I don't know, like I go out to I tell you something funny. You know the Decostis. Yep. yep. Well, the, the original Decostis, not the ones who own it now. The Italians own Decostis now, but the original Greeks. Yeah. My dad came out in the boat with them from Greece, and he said to me, his name wasn't Decosti. His name was something Costi or Costa. Yeah. He said, but he got smart. He put it like a, made it sound like Italian because he was, uh, yeah. you know, to open a seafood thing. What he was doing as sort of was more, um, uh, more cool to be a Decosti as opposed well, to be a Costa. That's what all the Greeks did. Like you look at, um, you know, all the the butchers, the Havricks. Yeah, you know, yeah. And you know, they're all Andrews. Yeah. Yeah. Not really. Peter Andrews. Andrews is not Peter Andrews. There's no. Like a, there's, there's probably Paniotis, the old man, Paniotis something or other. Yeah, yeah, know? of course. Yeah. And, um, and you know, all well, the Paspalis, you know, they weren't they weren't Paspali. No, they no. Paspalis and, and they wh- changed wh- their where, names. Where, where would you go and get a good lobster, for example? Like if you go to the market, do you get to the market? I mean, I, I know you've probably got other avenues. But yeah, like, I, do. I do. Yeah, but I mean, like if you're me, like where would you save me? Like, Because for me, the best lobster is you go and get a, an uncooked lobster and cook it because all the mm. lobsters you go and buy at the market have been cooked and they've been put, they put them on ice. I think they lose their flavour a bit. There is... There's so many different variations of lobsters in Australia. Right. And that is the big difference. Right. So, you know, and I'll, I'm going to be controversial because they'll hate me for it, but the WA lobster is a real inferior lobster. It's right. cheaper, weight ratio, it won't survive. Um, you know, I made a comment years ago on a cooking show and some guy waited at the airport to beat me up <laughs> because I called them rats of the ocean because they've got lots of them and they're, they're great to eat as long as they're nice and fresh and you, you kill them and straight away you catch them. Yeah. You catch them anywhere in, in WA. Um, and then you've got the Southern Craze, which come from South Australia and Tasmania. Um, and they are the they are the, the premium one. You know, they, they are fantastic. Then you have the local Sydney lobster, which is the big green ones, which I think are the best. Um, they come out, when you say Sydney, they're out of Sydney Harbour? Uh, well, Sydney and South, right? So they, they, you know, the South Coast, but yeah. they're, they're green lobsters. They're very different to the Southern Craze or the the WAs. And when you cook them, they turn red, though. Yeah, they all turn yeah, red. Yeah, yeah, they right. all turn red. Um, but how would you know? If, how would I know where to get a a, a Sydney a, 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 a local a local green rock lobster? That's what you'd call a, it. But who who? How, how? Oh, you, you know, you you'd get them down the fish markets if you yeah. asked. Um, or you know you can go online now. There's there's um, so many apps. There's Shore Trade, which is the guys that I help launch, where you can go on and you can actually buy fresh Shore S U R E. Yeah, it's a it's a Shore Trade, and there's which is owned by Minetas. Right. And Minetas have a an online um, you know app that you can actually buy stuff and, and get it delivered. Right. Everyone's talking about how mad the the fish markets are going to be. Um, this year and how busy they're going to be. Buy and online, get it delivered. Make it on exactly the same, you know. And there's the, there's a great store, um, seafood market that I go to all the time in Maroubra, in the in the main shopping complex in Maroubra. But in the, in, in, you mean in the in the in the shopping centre there? It's a bloody fish and chip shop. Yeah. But they sell fresh seafood, and I go there sometimes. I got coral trout, um, fresh John Dory crab meat, like it is, and fresh lobsters, live lobsters. It's just as good as the fish market. Serious? Yeah, absolutely. Right. You can vouch for Menezia, yeah, but this this fish and chip shop in in Maroubra, 
um, is, and I go there and I see Manu there or I see lots of chefs there all the time. So this is, but this is a secret, mate. Like, this is something you guys know about. Oh, like, you don't yeah. tell anyone. No, no. Well, no. we just did. <laughs> oh, we just saw a shitload of people, <laughs> but they'll all be there. They'll because that's what I'm going to go. So I think your idea of um having a look, if you're going to do it, if you're going to spoil your family, look. I, I know it sounds a bit harsh when a lot of people are there struggling on Christmas Day, but at the same time, if you're in a position to spoil spoil your family, you should spoil your family. Absolutely. So I, I'm actually going to. I really want to put on a, a spread for my family this mm. time. I mean, I got my sister saying, you know. You you're right for Christmas Day. You're gonna. I said, Jane, it's fine. Like she, she's gonna, she'll bring a, a you know pork belly or something like that. But I, I I'm just letting them bring whatever they want. And I'm gonna mm. surprise the hell out of them. Mm. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope it's not pissing down raining. But I'm really really looking forward to. I'm excited about it, mate. Christmas Day to me is like that, and, and we end up having about you know 25, 30 people or whatever, and we cook. Did it then, all day, like goes yeah, into the night. Yeah, well, this is where it gets really interesting. Um, so. People leave after after lunch. They've got to go to other families or whatever. So they just come basically to feed off me and then they go. Um, and then other people start turning up. And I, I like my wine, Mark, and I've got a cellar downstairs that's got a one key to it. And um, and uh, a very dear friend of mine is also a business partner who's Jewish, you know, upbringing. And they Your do, business, I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. They do a – I'm going to get in trouble with this. They do a Jewish, you know, thing in the morning, whatever, and then him and his kids come over to drink my French Burgundy. And to have a ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't say his name. I know you're talking about that. So, but, 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 but that's pretty cool, though. Like, yeah, mate, and I like, they're like family too. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The kids come but, over. But, and, but you, you obviously got a wine cellar. But do you, I mean, I always have the wine out for him, right? And I say, "This is what we're drinking." And he goes straight and grabs my key and goes downstairs to get the good stuff. But, so, <laughs> when it comes to wine, I mean, do you? Uh, you said you got good French wine. Mm. How about Australian wine? Do you do you, do you rate love it? Australian wine? Yep. Um, I rate. Uh, I drink a lot of Australian Pinot. Um, I like Chardonnay, which is you know white and red Burgundy. Um, and uh, Gioconda is probably my favourite wine in Australia. I What's think it it's called? Gioconda. Gioconda. Gioconda comes yep. from Beechworth. Yep. Um, phenomenal. I reckon it's the best Pinot and probably best Chardonnay. Um, I'm very lucky. I get an allocation. Always record that Gioconda, but Gioconda. get some of that. Mate, it's the best. You won't find it in bottle shops. It's too hard to get. Um, there's a guy in, in WA that makes some great um, some great reds uh, called Cloudburst. Um, you know, Mount Mary's. I like. I'm getting more and more into um, Tassie Pinots. You know, it's a nice cold climate down there. I guess cold climate. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Tassie Pinots. I love um, Tassie Chardonnay. What about rosés? Because like, I have great memories of being in South of France when I was much younger, mm. um, and really cold rosé so yep. i mean where is it? i mean apart from matus what's a ro- good rosé rosé well look the, all the french rosés are fantastic but australia's getting a lot better they used to do you know it used to be really pink and, and cordial and and really rich yeah, you know, yeah. but not and a headache. uh yeah and a headache um crinkle would make a great rosé which, which is actually hunter valley um, okay so yeah well, and, that gets pretty cold in the winter though yeah, it gets to be cool in the in the winter. They do great. Cringlewood, I love the name. Cringlewood, yeah, yeah. I love it. My, my, my mates own um, uh, the Bird's Nest brand or Nest Egg. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you heard the Nest yep, Eggs, yep. Andrew, Andrew and Nugent. And um, actually, he and I are, I don't know what that but he and I are um, going to put together a whiskey brand oh, together. I- are you really? Yeah, why fuck am yeah. I, Why am I not involved well, you want in to get, You want to get involved? Mate, bloody oath I will. Well, we, I reckon, we're, 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 actually, those little bottles over there, So that, that's some of our whiskeys. Oh, is it? That, yeah, bring them over. Like you mate, said. I'm, I love whiskey. And yeah, I collect, mate, I, so do I. I collect whiskey. Yeah, so do I. Uh, oh, yeah. I've got Irish, everything. Uh, French, a lot of Japanese, Japanese. These are the whiskeys. So we're, this one here is, oh, don't, don't read the names out, but these are the ones we're trying yeah. at the moment. And they're not mature, but... We're sending them around to people for tastings and for people to give us a view on things. And we we we've been working for that for five months. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to buy a bulk. We, we found someone who's distilled because it's not in the distilling. It's it's actually in the finishing off. Yeah, it is. Yeah. How you finish off? And my mate's got uh, lots of beautiful Shiraz, like you know, Nesting, one of the best Shiraz in the world. He's got some beautiful uh, Shiraz uh, oak barrels, which have you know got a lot of uh, Shiraz in them. He's also got oh, I like that one. Yeah. That's the darker one. Yeah, that's yeah. better. I can't remember what we called them now, but like he, he's and what we're going to do is we're going to uh, finish him off for a, for a year, eighty yep. months, yep. in the right size barrels, and then we're going to actually design some labels and some bottles and have some fucking fun. We're not, I don't look at make money, but, yeah, yeah, but it'd be fun. fun. If you want to hang out with yeah. us, yeah, he's absolutely. a really cool bloke, Andrew. He lives in Adelaide. He's just bought a big farm in um in Tassie, and at some stage we'll probably start using Tassie water. But right now we've got water out of the Adelaide Hills. We're getting barley from not far out of Adelaide yeah, right. Hills. And then in distillers, yeah, there's some good some good whiskey makers there, mate. There, there's some great 
whiskey in in uh, in Tassie. Oh bloody hell! Sullivan's is great. And yeah, Lark, Lark is the, the guy that that kid, the guy that did Lark's kid was on Junior MasterChef <laughs> a long, long time ago. Um, the OCD guys. I mean, I have you sent Tasty uh, OCD or something OC Distilleries. I can't remember. Autocrafts Distilleries. Um, OCD. Their stuff's fucking fantastic. Mm. So, for example, I don't know if you have you been to Dulcie's Bar up at the King's Cross. No. So Dulcie's is a, a bloke who runs Dulcie's. Um, Dulcie's named after a woman who was a famous yeah. King's Cross um, person many many years ago. Like allegedly very theatrical and, and all sorts of, in and out of all sorts of things. But he's opened a bar, one of the old strip joints. He turned it into a a bar. Yeah. And it's very cool, and uh, it's got a, like a little stage on it, and uh, with curtains on the stage. Obviously, there's no entertainment at the moment. There could be. Um, there's and it's theatrical. And it's really cool. Anyway, um. During the, during the COVID period, he's the guy who put the pressure on the government to allow someone like him, he's got a mm. licence obviously, to make cocktails and deliver them to your home. Right. He's the guy who started that. Yeah. And so he's a cocktail delivery guy. Anyway, but he's got his bar now and he sells all these unusual Australian brands and I went and tasted the OCD whiskey at his place one mm. Friday afternoon. Fucking fantastic. And it sort of inspired me. I thought, you know what? I've always wanted to have a, a, a booze brand. I just mm. wanted to have one. Mm. And uh, I don't want to do beer. Like everyone's done it. Ginge has done it. Like, I don't go do beer. Mm. Done it and it's done to death. I reckon there's something else also in this is where, you know, you've got the guys of Four Pillars doing the gin and, you know, gin's gone everywhere. Gin's gone mad, yeah. I reckon white rum could be could be the way to go. White rum or what about tequila? Mate, everyone's bloody Clooney in those. Yeah, maybe. but here they aren't doing it. No, it's not. It's not a lot of tequila, but white rum, I think, is going to be. Just well, white rum being like Bacardi, as in Bacardi. yeah, like yeah. a like a white rum. I think. Yeah. I just think you know, well, Bundaberg is you know yeah, world yeah, famous, yeah. but I just think no one's tapped into the white rum, and and it's. I talked to a lot of you know um, mixologists or whatever that make cocktails, and you know. They say, well, the good thing about white rum is well, those sorts of things you can make them quickly. Yeah, the whiskey you got to you got it's going to hang out for ages, and you're sort of sitting there mm. for years waiting to get it right and like you can't just sort of make it and sell it rum is distilled mm. and it's and if you do it clean like you know if it's nice and white and clean and it's they say allegedly is better for you because it's very clean you know it's a bit like good tequila or good, or good uzo. vodka uzo uzo, good uzo. <laughs> but i mean that's that, butter if you're a <laughs> <laughs> correct but so but if you want to i'm happy to talk because i'm he's but, a cool uh, guy yeah. and to be Actually, for us, it'd be great to have someone like Matt Moran involved in it. Mm. You know, we just thought we'd punch out because he's got all these distribution channels and like he's mm. wines known all around the world. But like for me, um, I don't care. For my, I, this is one of those bucket list things I've always wanted to do. Yep. And just yep. tasting things and saying, well, that there may be. And I, I actually quite like the Japanese style of whiskey. I yeah, mean, so it's that right. is probably my favorite now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some Habikis and some Yamazakis. And yeah, yeah. You'll yeah. have to come around. We'll yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll do a swap. You come around mine, I come around yeah, yours. But like, yeah, because I, 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 I just, my kids, I got four boys and, uh, Presents, the only thing you ever buy me is whiskey. So, because yeah, yeah. I don't know what to buy the old man. So, just go and get him a bottle of whiskey and be happy. Um, and I only drink, like, I don't drink much. So, yeah, if I drink, yeah. I drink like a taste, and that's it, yeah. especially in the winter. And, but now I've got these bottles sort of spread all around the joint. I need some, someone to help, help me well, drink. And, a bit. and, you know, it's whiskey's so much more cooler. And, and um, you know, I've got a lot of um, girlfriends that, you know, that come over and, you know, wives and whatever they love with their whiskey. Yeah, but everyone sort of thinks it's some old guy with a pipe or something sitting there with a pair of No, whiskey. it's everyone today. Yeah, it is. And yeah. and as you say, chicks love it. Chicks yeah, love, love whiskey. It. Yeah. And it's I, to me, I find whiskey. I mean, the imagery around it anyway. It's pretty fucking sophisticated. Mm. Oh, there's nothing wrong with the beer. You know, like I mean, I, I keep going back to the bloke in the bar. This guy, like, mate, this guy is so clever uh, in terms of his product. He's so clever. He just gets all the footballers and the boxes and like and probably throws them a, a, a spare box of beer. Next thing you know, he's interviewing them, mm. and then then every opportunity they get, they're not, they're not going to promote Tui's or they're not going to promote anybody else. They're going to promote this dude called Bloke in a Bar. Like it's such a fucking good name, and sort of where I started with the question about men. Mm, mm. Um, I I I have four sons. We all grew up as like, there was always men in our environment. Like my dad's one of uh, six boys. Um, there's, I've got every one of my dad's brothers largely got sons in their family, very few girls. So I've got brought up in this fully male environment. And to some extent, it sort of hasn't been perfect for me because um, I have been a little bit insensitive to females over the years. Um, At least you can admit it. <laughs> oh, wait, mate, my, uh, my bank account admits because I've been divorced three times. <laughs> so, 
and their timing is really pretty good because it's usually after some big sale, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, uh, so, uh, you know, mm. like I, I should have, uh, probably three times what I have, mm. but, but, uh, but uh, by the way, equally, I'm happy that I, they, they're happy and mm. I'm happy they're, they're well and safe and stable and secure mm. and they're all mates still. We're all mm. I'm friends with everybody. So, um, and you know, they're my kids, parents, what have you. So I have to be in, in that regard, but I'm actually happy to be, but. Like in terms of my upbringing, I have to say it was a apart from my mum, it was a fairly strong male influence, mm. and I didn't know anything else about it other than being a bloke. I went mm. to an all boys school, mm. uh, both you know all through my life, and to some extent, I brought my own sons up that way, mm. and because um, that was the only way I knew. Mm. And I only realised, you know, probably in the last ten years, that I've probably been too blokey. Mm. See, I I remember Paddington at twenty two. Um, there were six chefs in that kitchen and there was me and five girls, all girls in the kitchen. And um, it was pretty pretty full on at times. But um, That's challenging. It was challenging but you know what? You know, There's no such thing as a, a male chef better than a female chef or a female chef better than a male chef. But I, I like strong women around me and I've always had strong women around me, whether it's making TV or wherever. And, you know, and I always find, I'm not sure whether you do or not, I always find that, a guy can be intimidated by it, but a girl will tell you exactly how she feels. Dude, fuck off. And if you're doing it, making a TV show and you, you, you didn't do it right, the guy will go, oh, yeah, well, that'll do. The girl will say, no, do it again. Yeah, well, by the way, that, I prefer that. I much prefer that. And, and Paddington Inn, I didn't really go there, but I used to hear things about the Paddington mm. Inn. It was a bit – it was a cool joint. Mate, it was, it was a great joint. When I got there in 1991, um, Paul Merini had it prior to me. And uh, my partner, who, who owned the owned the, the building, was my landlord back in those days. Um, and uh, it was it was you know, and I was single when I was there too, so I had a lot of lot of fun at Pato Inn. Um, but getting back to a strip joint, there's a, a very famous strip joint in Pitt Street called Minx. That you go down six. Yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit of trivia, and I don't tell many people that I used to own that. Serious? Yeah, back in ninety six, ninety seven. And it was an Italian restaurant. I sold it to those guys that turned it into the strip joint. So I never had it as a strip joint. But I owned that restaurant um, with my brother and Kirk Pangilly out of Phoenix. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Kirk's one of my best friends. And um, and him and I used to own, own that in the late 90s. I had Lane Beachley sitting right here. Oh, did you? Last week. We oh. last, yeah. Um, having, it, having lunch with him in a couple of weeks. Um, talking about, uh, you, you, you mentioned a lot of chefs, but like who are your like god chefs, the people that, I mean, I guess different eras. You, you oh, there are different eras. To. You know, I, I grew up um, idolizing, you know, the Rue brothers and and uh, you know, Decas and and well, actually before Decas, it was more Paul Bacuse and then Decas and and Robichon and then Marco Pierre White and well, Gordon's, you know, one of my best mates. Um, we've been mates for twenty odd years. You know, we uh, we had a, we had a great trip for my fiftieth last year. He took me to Iceland. It was Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so we went fishing in Iceland for four days. And um, I was meant to go back this year, but I obviously couldn't get there. And he hired Brands Hatch for the day and we drove his bloody um, Ferraris and, you know, Lamborghini, or not Lamborghini, Senna, what's he got? He's got Porsches, Aston Martins. We had, he had 12 supercars there and we raced them around the track. That'll be cool. So Gordon, I've, you know, I knew Gordon before Gordon was Gordon. He was just, you know, just a, a chef in a, in a restaurant. Um, but you know, I admire what he's done and how he's how he's done it. You know, he's, he's a pretty incredible guy. And when it comes to Sydney guys, you know, I grew up idolising you know Neil Perry and and Tetsuya and and all those sort of guys, and they're all great mates. You know, I think what they've done for Australian food is is pretty incredible. You know, the younger generation now coming through, Andrew McConnells and Shannon Bennett's in in Melbourne. Um, you know, and we're all pretty good mates. You know, yeah, it seems to be to me. It seems to me to be the case. Like, yeah, we are. Yeah, it's a yeah. pretty close knit group. Yeah, we. I think we are. Um, is that like in every else? Is that like in every else? It's the odd one or two. Look, we've always, you know, around the world, you know, Tony Bedane was, or Anthony Bedane was a great mate of mine in New York and Alfred Batali and Mario, they're all, you know, connected with all those sort of guys. Curtis Stone, who lives in LA, we're all we're all good mates. Um, and we all sort of look after each other. You know, if you if you go to London, you know, you can always get a restaurant booking where no one else can or vice versa. Um, and same in Sydney, you know. Um you know, when everyone says, oh, you can't ever get in that restaurant, I'm sure if I rang Guillaume or I'm Neil sure or whatever, I could get a table today if you want. You want to go for lunch today? Yeah. But they, you know, that's, Neil's just downstairs. Neil's right? downstairs. Well, no, you should be going to the chop house. That's mine. Yeah, totally. How's it going? How's the chop house it's going? It's killing it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we're, I'm selling. Um, I've got to I'm, get there because I, I want to go and see um, what what changes you made. But we, we've sort of decorated a little bit, and and we're really branded. But more to the menu, brand. like menus changed a lot. So you're supplying um, the meat. Yes, I'm yep. supplying the meat, and um, and oh, we're buying other meat in also. Yep. Um, look, it's different from Rockpool. Rockpool's you know a beautiful, big, glamorous room, and 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 amazing. You know, this is this is more of a, a steakhouse, and you know, um, you can't get a vegetarian dish there. You know. Yeah. Well, that's that's. For me, it's perfect, but um, I know I should eat more vegetables. But like, I mean, I prefer it. You'd have sides. There's a nice green salad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but but in terms of um, like, who do you think today is like an emerging, a great emerging chef? Like, who's? I mean, you're 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 more like a, a doyen of the industry. Yeah, I've been around. You now sit too back long. a bit. You can sort yeah. of sit back a bit. Who's the emerging young guys? Like, if I was to say in rugby league, I could quote to people too, or, or in boxing, I could tell you who the emerging fighters are. But who's the emerging chef? Look, you know, it, it's the younger guys that are out there having a, having a crack. I'm not talking about fine dining. You know, the the guys from Six Penny, I think, you know, is incredible, incredible chefs that work there. Um, you know, but it's the people that are actually opening really cool venues and doing cool things. You know, the guys from Batenio, uh, Ben and Elvis. Um, Elvis actually used to work for me. God. 15 years ago um, that are just cool doing cool joints. You know, they're, they're, they're involved in the Mary's and they've got Patenio and the, the unicorn and, and um, they're only cool little bars and stuff like that. If I was to say to you, mm. and we'll just finish this off now because you've given us, been generous with your time. But if I was to say to you today, as, because I go through these thoughts all the time in relation to financial services or what, you know, what we should mm. give to people in Australia who want to borrow money mm. as a, um, uh, a senior influential person in the let's call it the catering industry mm. catering and entertainment industry what would you wish for australia in the next 10 years in terms of where you think the vendors of catering and entertainment should be which you're one of mm. should mm. it be in terms of offering to customers and consumers like us where do you want us to go look you know it's a tough industry you know, and you you know that because you you know I remember you came to me years ago with with your son in the bar and whatever else. Um, it didn't fucking work out. No, it was a fail. <laughs> We're still paying it off. That's why I could never go on that Celebrity Apprentice because I, I couldn't. I could just never imagine you sacking me. I'd be like, <laughs> you can't sack me. I fucking helped you. Yeah, totally. 100%. <laughs> they asked me again to go on it this time. Yeah, and, well, uh, Sir Alan Sugar is probably taking a totally different tack to me. I didn't want to do it this time. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to do it, but like. I can't assume myself wearing a shirt and tie and jacket anymore. I'm fucked over that no, shit. No, no. But, but I mean, can, I can't imagine you being on there. No. You probably jump over the fucking thing. What'd you say? <laughs> so and, go on. And um, where do you want to see Australia? Look, you know, I, I think the I think the government um, should help us a little bit when it comes to things like FBT, you know, and and fringe benefits tax. Yeah, for entertainment. And and, and should and should abolish that because yeah. all that's going to do is create more jobs. Um, it'll it'll make the the industry much more vibrant. When you say more fringe benefits tax, do you mean that the government should go back to allowing save a tax deduction for when we entertain our clients, business clients, yeah. or whatever? And which you know we we had around in the in the um, in the eighties. Oh, totally. And, and when they did it, I think they sort of stifled that lunch that lunch trade. Hundred um, percent. But if they you know if they actually turn that around and even had a trial for a couple of years and, and saw how much more money they would make through having uh, people coming through the doors, spending more money in the economy and having more staff, um, you know, it would be a lot more vibrant um, because the, the margins are getting harder and harder to make, you know. And have you made submissions to government about this? Yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah. We've um, we've been really pushing through COVID. To you being we? Who's we? So what's oh, your... as a body. Yep. Um, is there a body? Yeah, well, there's the, there is the, um, there's there's a couple of them. There's the, the Hotels Association and there's also the Restaurant Code. Yeah. Association, so we're we've been trying to lobby that as much as we possibly can, and also um, payroll tax, you know, which is yeah, in the state tax, which is just yeah, well, you're getting charged for employing somebody, employing, which doesn't just doesn't make sense. And I, have you made representations to Perite here in New South Wales? Uh, the restaurant catering have, yeah, yeah, numerous times. So we're, I, we're still waiting to see what's going to happen. Because I heard you on, uh, I might have been two GB or Ben Ford, I'm talking about um, the the COVID rules, relaxing the yeah. rules more recently, yeah. um, and that that. That, that worked. I mean, you look. It, it, it does in certain venues. Like we, if we go back with no job keeper at the end of March, and um, and no rent, you know, re relief, um, our margin is going to be unbelievably hard to, to make, and it'll it'll send a lot of people broke. I'm not saying that I will, but you know, we're a bit bigger and and whatever else. But um, it will be so hard on some venues if they can't have 100 percent capacity of people in their venue. 
um, they just won't survive. So, you know, either that has to be abolished social distancing completely or there has to be some sort of relief. Maybe not JobKeeper, but maybe FBT abolished, maybe payroll tax, you know, abolished for a period of time. Um, and just let us ease back into that. And would you be happy as a, as a as a just speaking on your own behalf, I guess here, if they said, okay, we'll, we'll get rid of FBT, but what we're going to do is we're going to um, increase GST to cover the gap. Because you know, like if you get rid of FBT and mm. payroll tax, the money's got to come from somewhere. Then I mean, that's usually. Well, I think FB, F, I think FBT, if you know, if they abolished it, I think it would create more jobs and more people going out. So then it would just raise more tax. It would raise more taxes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe you know, that, I never, that, I never it. understood FBT. No, I, I still don't. Not in restaurants anyway. Well, I, I always think it was it was it come around about the late eighties or something when they it introduced was, yeah. it. And I, I, I remember it. And I remember. It. I think the reason they did it is because it looked like it was a, a rort that business people, you know, try salesmen or whatever, business people could get a tax deduction because they go to lunch. Mm. Whereas if I work in, uh, let's say, public service or I work in a bank. Um, that um, I don't get a tax deduction when I go to my mm. lunch. Maybe the rules should be tightened up a little. Let's bit. tighten the rules up mm. and let's make people log it out like you do with your Absolutely. car. Log yeah. these things out and yeah. maybe they get um, something from the restaurant that says, yes, this was a business lunch. I yeah. don't know. But instead of just having a blanket rule saying, no, you're going to have to pay an FB, a fringe benefits tax for those employees who char- get, get the tax deduction or get, or get paid pay for their lunch, instead of there being a, a fringe benefits tax, maybe instead of trying to just blanket us out with bombing, uh, they they go along those lines and say no. What we'll do is we'll control it. You can have a tax deduction. Mm. There is mm. no FBT. You can have a tax deduction, mm. but these are the things you've got to comply with. I just think the government's got to stimulate, um, you know, our 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 industry, you know, which will end up stimulating the economy in in some way, shape, or form. I just don't think if we just went back to normal, you know, there, there won't be there won't be as many restaurants. Well, I mean, I I I have some quite good relationships with Josh Frydenberg. I mean, you know, we're mates. Um, and he's a pretty logical guy, and he does listen to um, reason. He's been lo- listening to our industry quite a bit. Yeah. So there's been a bit of a lobby group there with. with well, um, I'd be know, quite happy to help out. Like I mean, I'm happy to make. I'm, I would be very happy to push for something like that. I mean, I will go and talk to them, and I'll talk to the guys within Treasury because I think it makes sense. And it does. And if you're looking to stimulate the economy in a cer- certain parts of the economy, which could actually fall over. Mm. You've got to do something. You don't want to come around Easter time watching restaurants fall over. You want to be able to help them get back on their feet and yeah. and, and and start making money and, and it obviously help our economy. Well, I think we all should. I mean, if I take my staff to lunch, I should be able to get a tax deduction for that. Mm. I mean, to me, it's I'm taking my lunch. I wouldn't ordinarily wouldn't take lunch, but mm. what, I shouldn't take, have to take lunch and think oh, I'm not going to get tax deduction, so we're going to go somewhere cheap. Yeah, you know what I mean, like, uh, if or maybe another way of looking is, I'll say I'll take him to, I'll really spoil him because I know I'm going to get a tax deduction. It's only going to cost me half, mm. but it's still costing me. I still have to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't get it back to. It's not as if it's no. you know someone said it's fifty percent here, Mark. It's hundred percent. I pay, but down the track I get a tax deduction for it, and so that and that gets reflected in the tax I might pay in twelve months' time. Or something. Of course, but like I would, I would definitely, I would hundred percent, I would put more money back into that, yep. that system. Uh, just as one person, because yeah. how else can I reward my staff? Yeah, absolutely. There is nothing else. What am I going to do? Buy them a Christmas hamper? Like, I'm, yeah, okay, I can't get them a hamper. So what? I would rather when there's an impromptu moment, or a, and they're they're going to they're all sitting here filming this, so they're going to actually quote me on this. But there's an impromptu <laughs> moment where you want to celebrate something that just happened. Yeah. You say, okay, let's all go to lunch. Yeah. Then you can. Yeah, I just, or you get Aria, there's Chop House around the corner. Yeah. There's Chizik. mate I can see, Chiswick, wherever you want to. North or no fish, let's go. <laughs> but I mean, I'll I definitely do it because I mean, I'm only a survey one, but I think it makes sense. It sounds very logical to me mm. and it's an easy one. It's an easy win. It is an easy win. Because people are going to say, oh, wow, how cool is that? Yeah. Everyone's yeah. going to say, and, and like, it's about boats. That wins votes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Matt Moran, you have been sensational. Mate, Thanks very pleasure. much, mate, for coming mate, in. You you are going to pay me back though, because you're going to come to my house. Totally. And I've been that's doing not this. a payback. I've been, about I've been doing these kitchen tales. Yep. About your upbringing. And Anytime how, you want. And what food you were brought up on, and then I'm going to reproduce it in my way, shape, form, in my own kitchen. Hundred percent, guys. <laughs> let's organise it. I, I, that, that's not a that's not a chore for me. That would be an absolute pleasure. Mate, we're going to have you down one afternoon. We're going well, to January, February. Going to be doing it. In Probably February. March. I think the next March. Series. Okay, I'm yeah. up. I'm yeah. up. For I've it. got Lane actually. I might Lane, I get Lane to do it one. But definitely, you'll 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 come in by hundred percent. I'm going to interview you first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not cool. on air, and I'm yeah. just going to talk about what you what you were brought up on food wise and what you hated, and then I might just surprise you. I hated stews, but what's interesting is I love a stew now. And my mum would cook the stew. Stew, I love it. I love how you use the word stew. Yeah. But well, well, now it's a braise or a 
you know, well, slow, was, slow when I was a kid, right, it was a stew. Like, because it was, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a stew, like Irish stew, Irish, yeah, Irish stew, totally, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and just put in whatever's cheap. And, um, and uh, yeah. eat it. Well, mate, you're giving me ideas already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love a stew now. Actually, it's one of my favourites because to me it's the easiest thing to make. You just throw everything in. For mm. me, anyway, you wouldn't cook that way, but I would. Mate, thanks very much. Pleasure. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.